Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Stop, stop, stop. Just before this big interview begins... I need to tell you about a new book being published by Backpage, the good guys, the made guys, who published my two books on Barca and Spain, and who also, thank the Lord for them, produced this podcast. Football 2.0, How the World's Best Play the Modern Game by Grant Wall, is in all good bookstores from May 15th. What does that mean to you? Well, Grant Wall sits down with superstars such as Manuel Neuer, Vincent Company, and Xabi Alonso. And thanks to extensive interviews with players in every key position on and off the pitch, he explains the technical and tactical revolution which has transformed modern football. This book is packed with insights that only those at the very top of the sport can offer. In the words of my good friend Gabriel Marcotti, Grant Wall is an expert storyteller who has managed to get some of the best in the world to share the secrets of their trade. So, big interview listeners... That's your World Cup reading sorted. Hello and welcome to another episode of the big interview at the World Cup. Today, Graham Hunter and I will be previewing England versus Croatia, the second semi-final of Russia 2018. And I want to take a look at the captains in some depth. But first, let's talk more generally about the fixture. It's a matchup that we've talked quite a bit about one way or another and I'm not just talking about this iteration that's coming our way uh, tomorrow as we record this. I'm thinking about Croatia versus England more generally and specifically about the big interview you did with Slaven Bilic um, about a year ago. What were you thinking about when you sat down with Slaven <laughs> and, Is that a and Croatia versus... Not in general... <laughs> But when when Croatia versus England, you know, was written on your notes, heavily underlined three times in red pen, why? Yeah, dear listener, dear socio, don't you love how Neil's building his part up there to the point at which it becomes a year-long reprimand? What were you thinking of? <laughs> it's actually, it could well be my favourite of all our big interviews. And listeners, if you haven't heard it, please go and check it out on the feed now. And Max Fitzgerald, if you're listening, thank you for setting it up because... We talked to somebody who felt like he was as as volcanic and as, um, as sort of mesmerised about football as, as I tend to be. And I love the bits where he would cut me off or we'd go, God, you really are a, a maniac, aren't you? <laughs> or the bits where he would disagree with me and he would stop me in the Savicevic um, descriptions. And, and generally, it, it felt like a big, giant game of sort of podcast chess trying to keep one step ahead of this um, this phenomenon. But he was coached. You're right, I've got a bee in my bonnet. 
And it's not to um, continually castigate Steve McLaren, but if you go back to November 2007, it's one of the international matches when England play Croatia that I've watched with the most um, stupefaction, which wasn't self-afflicted, in that the group is such that England need a draw to to guarantee going through. They're 2-0 down to Cranshaw and and Olic, who we'll come back to because he's on the bench um, now as assistant coach to Croatia. And... You know, McLaren's side does something that in those days seemed to be very trademark English, British. I don't know if it applies to our um, Northern Ireland, Ireland or, or Wales uh, listeners in, in these islands that, you know, we grew up in, you and I. But, they, they, you know, the cavalry charge brings it back to 2-2. There's a complete change of mentality. Beckham comes on at half time, And suddenly, thanks to Lampard and Crouch, it's 2-2 with 25 minutes Remaining, and, and the thing that bugs me to this day is that clearly football is set up to be loved by billions of people. If England's surge of blood to the head and their cavalry charge goes on and results in them winning 3-2 or 4-3. But as the game progresses and as you can see the crowd whipping the players up and the players whipping the crowd up into a frenzy, having gone 2-0 down to 2-2, the natural reaction to just go charge isn't dominated by any central nervous system on the pitch, isn't um, ruled over by the manager, Steve McLaren. Nobody puts the brakes on, nobody says, play, you know, box clever. This result does us. You know, an equivalent example was where West Germany and Austria play a, a draw. And certainly Spain and Chile do it in the 2010 World Cup final group game. They just play the last. And there's an example from this tournament as well. Which is? Japan, despite losing 1-0 against the Poland team who are already on their way home, Colombia are beating Senegal um, by a single goal, and Japan know that those two results combined mean that they progress, and they made no attempt to get that goal back. They didn't expose themselves at all against Poland. It was um, a form of game management that you and, and much of the watching world didn't particularly enjoy, but it was it was realism in that... You know, it found their purpose, it got them qualified. I'd, I'd argue that it's a, a brother-in-law or a cousin of, of this experience in that 2-2 at home, um, Croatia, isn't any surrender monkey, we'll take a defeat. And it's, I think rather than actually passing the ball back and forward amongst yourselves, it's about being less cavalier. It's about trying to put your foot on the ball even for 10 minutes to see if Croatia are tired or see if Croatia want to make um, substitutes to blood people. It, look, there have been various species of this over international tournaments and usually it's not well liked. But it's a trait that I think Germany and Italy and, and latterly Spain um, understood and Brazil have understood as well in terms of game management and it's been important. And England didn't have it. And I mention it not to, not to poke at Steve McLaren at all because I feel that there's a parabola that takes us to... Now, in that it's early in, in claiming that England are now a grown-up setup, that they are internationally mature. It's early because, you know, thank heavens for that pint of wine. Yeah, you know, I don't particularly like much about Sam Allardyce, but there are things he's done in his football career which demand respect. Yet, would England be playing this way? Would a cultural change be taking place? Would it be so easy to 
I'm not talking about like England. I'm talking about enjoy their football, enjoy their attitudes. Would it? Would England's setup and their players be emanating positive ripples of this is how you do things to kids everywhere? I'd say no. So, not that I've ever been against a pint of wine, but I'm particularly fond of that one that that rumbled. Um, Sam Allardyce and gave us Southgate but it's a relatively recent development and therefore to say their journey has finished because they're in the World Cup semi-final, no but set against the backdrop of having two different age groups who are already world champions and regular appearances in the finals of European under 21 and 19 championships what I think is that there's a very clear start point if you use a compass and, and swivel it and the parabola takes you to today where England are far better at game intelligence, game preparation, a joint mentality, devolved intelligence on the pitch, something that is a phrase that I've used over and over again because, you know, however good a manager is, there's only so much he can do during the hurly-burly of the first or second 45 minutes. And therefore you need not just leaders... But you need brains. You need a computer brains trust on the pitch if you can get it. And therefore, I, I you know, rejoice in the fact that it's, it's a wholly different England in every sense, because I'm talking about mentality, personality, use of the ball. I was speaking to David Pleat today, who, who, you know, bears some of the responsibility of England having gone this far, having, in, in inverted commas, if not discovered then promoted the signing of, of Harry Kane, promoted the loan deals of Harry Kane, promoted the signing of um, Deli Alley, promoted the signing of uh, Kieran Trippier, all to Spurs, and, and they're now, you know, utterly central parts of what England are doing. So he talked about the way in which um, he still wishes that there was more of the natural Kane as an out-and-out out nine, and more of the natural Trippier who's who's... Crossing of a ball, he says, is totally Beckham-esque. But having talked about those regrets, the, the difference of a team, he admitted, he agreed with me, that not seeing England having to go harem scarem after a ball that they've lost by trying something traditional, you know, a crazy long pass, a, a shot when there wasn't a shot on, just not concentrating and giving the ball away in a pass. These things, you know, are... I think, utterly essential to where England have got to, and they're different from that night in 2007. Differences also include, here's the England side, Scott Carson, Mika Richards, Wayne Bridge, Lescott, Campbell, Sean Wright Phillips, Joe Cole, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, Gareth Barry, Peter Crouch, David Beckham, Darren Bent, Jermaine Defoe, all come on. And then look at Croatia. Without reading everybody out and having to accept that, you know, Kovac is now Bayern Munich coach, but left from that side, Choluka, who will play because Versalico, the excellent right-back from Atletico Madrid, is, is definitely injured. So Chaluka, I guess, should start. Uh, Luka Modric, Ivan Rakitic, both who will start. And Ivica Olic, mentioned again in this podcast, who's on the bench um, as assistant coach. A real sense of um, continuity, which marks out ability, which marks out class, and which marks out the idea that... Um, for these players, irrespective of their club achievements, playing for Croatia is is of paramount importance. Yeah, and even below the names that you've just mentioned, you know, the the guts of the Croatia team that are going to play tomorrow were probably 
just coming up underneath those guys as well. The point I'm trying to make is that this Croatia team is maybe at the other end of that parabola compared to England's, the point in the journey that England are at. Age experience and, and trophies, you know, trophies won, the whole, the whole gamut, you know, they're, they're, they're a different proposition to England. Look, it's true. And, you know, I've had to learn about Zlatko Dalic because he was somebody that was new to me, didn't have a stellar playing career. He either is very fortunate that this Croatian group is utterly dedicated to international glory, to playing through a long summer, despite many of them having had long seasons, which is to mean that it was still counting very heavily in March and April and May. Um, in some instances, they were still playing for big trophies in, in over and above their league in those months. And therefore, I, th- I think that on the positive side, um, Dalic does count on a group which has a far clearer idea of what it is to play international football, of, of what it cost them to lose so limply. They went out against Portugal two years ago the way that Spain went out against um, Russia, suckered by... Being by battering themselves against a wall of defence and then being caught on the counter-attack. The, the coup de grace was different from Spain's coup de grace by Russia on penalties, but the idea was the same. What they showed that night was that as good as Rakitic and Modric are, they don't have a 10, an outright 10. Somebody who can, they call it uh, abrir la lata, cut open the tin can um, in Spain, they call it that. And, and I think that is, that is a problem. They have quality, they have a dangerous centre-forward, they have Perisic, who's yet to show his true quality. People talk endlessly and, and correctly about the quality of Rakitic and Modric. But it's it's also the truth that this is a squad where many of them are looking at their last big opportunity. And, and, and I think that might um, draw... Uh, extra energy out of them because I see them as a tiring squad. I do genuinely... I mean, listen, you, I know you're obsessed by Modric um, and, and the rest of the world seems to be seems to be too. But I do think that he represents um, a handful of players who won't be back at a big tournament. He does, but let me let me ask you something. I mean, you've, you've kind of raised the relevance of an 11-year-old football match to this story convincingly. I'm going to raise uh, a couple of games from this season just past, the Champions League meetings between Real Madrid and Spurs. I mean, what, what does that tell us about perhaps an area that England could exploit? Yeah, I, I, I want to be careful not being, you know, for not one instant am I trying to be clever, clever. It, there is no question that both Rakitic and Modric represent the absolute elite of world midfield footballing, competitiveness, athleticism. The change in Rakitic since he discovered that he was celiac and changed his diet completely, his energy levels, his season. I think he probably gave Rakitic his best um, season for Barcelona. This isn't answering your question, but I'm setting myself up because I do have a, I do have a what if. I, I do think that there are gaps and I do think that England are in a position to exploit them. But both, you know, Rakitic's season at, at double double centre midfielder with Busquets was, was brilliant. And Xavi recently called him one of the all-time great Barca signings. So for Rakitic, that, that's a, a reasonable summary to deal with his quality. Modric has gone from being voted early on in his um, career, it was the worst signing ever or the... 
there was some kind of vote that went on in these idiot votes that Mark and Ass have, and it was like the worst signing of 10 years, or some, maybe the worst signing ever, I can't remember. And now he's the boss. He's quiet. He's one of the players in that Real Madrid squad who doesn't particularly enjoy Cristiano Ronaldo. Because of shared English, because of a shared club background, he is easily one of Gareth Bale's biggest allies and friends in the squad. When he plays well, both Real Madrid and Croatia are completely different outfits. They tend to control things more, whether it's positionally, whether it's use of the ball, whether it's tempo of a match, whether it's how how good quality um, the passes are to the creative players. There's a range of things that Modric does, and he's tough. And and he will never... He is not a quitter. I have seen him this season chase and harass lost causes, but... And here's what you are getting at. Over the season, Real Madrid conceded a huge number of breakaway goals. If anybody wants to go back and look, go and look at early in the last season, Real Madrid nil, Betis won. Look at the goal comes. Go two, three quarters of the way through the season and go and look at Real Madrid nil, Villarreal won. And look at how the goal comes. But the crystal clear thing that um, I think stands out and supports your question about Spurs, Real Madrid in the Champions League, particularly the Wembley game, came at Christmas, I think the 23rd of December in the Classical, where Busquets does this little whirl with the ball, just sort of a, uh, if not 360 degrees, then 320 degrees three quarters of the way around the clock face and just does a little release pass finds that he's alone a little dink into the path of Rakitic and Modric doesn't see it coming doesn't anticipate it doesn't know that Rakitic is on his shoulder and doesn't run with him trots now somebody else who saw something like that in midwinter or late early winter better to say Deli Ali didn't play in the 1-1 draw where Spurs took a point back, a Champions League group point back from the Bernabeu, but he watched. And in having seen what he saw of Modric and having spoken to his teammates who played that night, they were absolutely and utterly clear that they'd given too much respect to Real Madrid's midfield and that they could not believe, A, the amount of space and time they were given, be the degree to which if they ran, if they pushed with the ball, exploded from midfield, having been fed from the back two, that Real Madrid's players wouldn't run with them. And that led to that performance at Wembley where Spurs win 3-1. Deli Alley scores twice, should have scored a hat-trick, misses a header late. And they, they speak on the pitch. I, I, Des Kelly was interviewed and I spoke to Des afterwards and said, you know, the Real Madrid players... You know, and, and Rumored Media saw that interview because it gets carried on the rights holder in Spain and then dubbed. And two Spurs players, including Deli Alley, were on the pitch going, well, after the first leg, we couldn't believe how, how easy this was going to be to run at them, to run past them and to run away from them. And therefore, um, if I can take your Modric point, Neil, and, and throw in Deli Alley again, I see a chance for him and Lingard, and indeed Sterling. But Deli Ali should be nose-to-nose, and that could be an experience with Luka, um, with Modric in, in the, in the centre of that midfield. Depending on, you know, what formation... I, For my eyes, at least, Dalic has used um, two, two discernible formations in this World Cup, at least two, but principally either 4-2-3-1 or 4-1-4-1. 
Rakitic usually being the 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 one um, if if it's a four one four one. If it's a four two three one, then you know I'll be really interested as to the eleven that Croatia pick. I'll be really interested to see whether Brozovic is brought in, a because you know he is younger, a b because he's played less football in this tournament. Because in my view, um, in the match against Russia, Croatia were lacking legs. It wasn't simply the the falling over and and the cramp and the the substitutions. I thought lungs and legs were getting on top of them against Russia, and that aided the concentration um, that they lacked for Fernandez's headed equaliser at two two. And so, I genuinely think that if England manage the ball well and and tease Croatia about the pitch, and then and then in certain instances burst from them, run from them, I think that. Lingard and Sterling, but principally Deli Ali, have goal chances, big goal chances, and that's that's really what I'd like to see that Gareth Southgate's scouting operation has pinpointed. And let me finish. Um, I've, I know I've taken too long to make my point, but I'm fascinated by it. I'm engaged. I wish I was coaching England. But like, you know, there's a stat that shows the 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 bit of that parabola that I'm talking about. Jesse Lingard um, at the World Cup against Tunisia, 96.4 pass accuracy. Against Panama, 93.9 pass accuracy. Against Colombia, 90.9 pass accuracy. Sweden, 93.5 pass accuracy. Now, that's when you're in a decent side and when you have ability beyond precision, that's the type of stat which, if you can multiply it across the team, wins you tournaments. And it's completely different from, I go back again to when I was reporting on Hoddle's England Hoddle, consistently saying in games, we couldn't pass to each other. And that baffled me when you looked at the quality of footballers he was managing. A cultural change has taken place. And a cultural change partly helps account for Delhi Alley over the last 24 hours before the, the flight to uh, Moscow, saying, in the first half, I wasn't sharp. I knew I wasn't playing well. I've come away from the win over Sweden and talked to teammates and talked to family about the fact that, particularly in the first half, I wasn't on my game. He said these things come and go. You have days when you're sharper on the ball and your control is better and it's no cause for panic, particularly seeing he's he's kept on, the the, the coach maintains him, his positional sense is better. He has a small hand in creating the move that leads to the corner for Maguire's goal and then he scores the second. Overall, it's a red-letter day for Deli Alley. But um, there's more to come because he is better than he showed against Sweden. I very much hope that he does more against the Croatians. I think it's going to be a fascinating battle. I agree with you. If if the game opens up, I think that Deli Ali might be able to get some room, some space against that Croatian midfield. But if it's a game of control, I just think that Croatia midfield versus Henderson, Deli Ali, and Lingard is um, a bit of a mismatch. But still to come, we're going to talk about Harry Kane. That's after this short break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back. There's a slight news angle to tomorrow's second semi-final in so much as a favourite of Graham Hunter's, who he discussed at some length in our last podcast, is in a bit of bother. A video statement came through the Croatian Federation, so quotes attributed to him, but even in that sort of once-removed statement, there was no direct apology. He said that he was he regretted that the media had misinterpreted his statements and that there was no political connotation to them. Demagos Vida, to celebrate beating Russia, was part of a recorded sort of selfie-style video with Onyen Vukojevic, who is an ex-Croatian international, who's on the Croatian FA uh, trip to, to Russia as um, effectively uh, an opposition assessor. Not quite a scout, but somebody who brings back data on and impressions on on opposition. And given that he would have played with Vida, there was a bond, and both of them have at some stage been employed by Dinamo Kiev. Vukojevic, relatively recently, again as a as a scout and a um, sort of preparation coach, and Vida played in Dinamo Kiev for I don't know. Um, Three, four seasons, I think, three or four, three and a half or four seasons. And they record this um, video, put it on Facebook, whereby they, amongst other things, um, Vida shouts glory to Ukraine. Now, uh, unlike me, I'm going to be a little bit careful here in that I could easily make mistakes in, in historical accuracy about what I say, but... I warmed to Ukraine greatly when I was there for um, Euro 2012. It appalled me to see what happened um, to them. But you won't catch me um, shouting ultra-Ukraine slogans like glory to um, Ukraine as Vida did. And what happened because of that, and it's already a, a fudge, I think, in that Russia protested. Russia were furious. It's a very sore subject. 
whether you like it or not, Croatia are are our guests in Russia. And because Vukovich is involved in the video, he's been sacked. Okay, let's talk about somebody who kind of ties two themes of this podcast so far together. Vida, if he survives this second scandal, will face um, Harry Kane. And Kane's story kind of meets that Real Madrid versus Spurs series from early this season as well. Kane, England's number nine, is, as we record this, a firm favourite for the Golden Boot. You spoke yesterday about Fontina Perez's love of a World Cup story in relation to Courtois, but earlier this season, around those two games in the Champions League, there was some heat around Kane to Madrid. Beyond those scurrilous headlines, though, how is the Spurs striker viewed in Spain amongst players and fans and the media there? What Does he have to have... A destructive performance against either a Spanish team in a European competition or perhaps at a World Cup to raise him to a DEFCON 1 striker. Yeah, your proviso is good. He's famous. English football is written about a great deal in Spain. It's televised um, much more comprehensively than I can ever remember in my two decades um, living in Spain. Pochettino is clearly somebody who's immensely attractive to the Spanish football public, albeit he's Argentinian. Um, he played at Espanol, he coached at Espanol. He is uh, a manager that really everybody expects at some stage to take over at Real Madrid. Had his renewal at Spurs not been so fresh on the page and without a buyout clause, then probably right now he'd be the Real Madrid manager. And therefore, Kane's exploits, Kane's development um, has been has been chronicled well in Spain. There is a relative awareness of what his abilities are, where he's come from, how he's had to develop. But frankly, until this Ronaldo-Juventus idea gathered momentum, there, there seems to me to be no possibility that the Kane deal was number one priority for Real Madrid or that they relished the idea of making it number one priority. At Florentino Perez notoriously did not like um, dealing with Daniel Levy over either Modric or Gareth Bale. He will need an enormous incentive to go back there. Um, My appreciation of Harry Kane is that he's worked very, very hard, not just to make himself a top-level football, but to make him a success at Spurs. And while, admittedly, we all know it wasn't his boyhood club, we're now talking about something different from simple um, I always wanted to wear this badge. He feels at home. He's a father of a young family. I don't think, in my personal opinion, that there's a drive from Kane that now is the moment to be going to Real Madrid, even post Cristiano Ronaldo. But Madrid need goals. And if there's a better footballer than Kane for that position, particularly being supplied by Modric and Bale, then maybe that person is hard to identify. But for Florentino or Jose Angel Sanchez, his right-hand man, for either of them to have the um, drive to, to sit down and go head-to-head with Daniel Levy again. And the, the vibes I'm getting from Spurs would be that the the completion of the new stadium, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to earn them, means that they, under no necessity, even with the Denton Curtain Stadium, um, to sell either Kane or Ericsson or Deli Alley. It would certainly be a Spurs decision. I mean, he signed just at the start of the World Cup 
a new long-term contract that reportedly doesn't have a buyout clause. And it does look, for all their smart selling over the years, it looks like Spurs may have changed gear and really are planning some kind of dynastic progression. Yeah, just my um, respect for him has, has grown. My Also, my enjoyment of him has grown hugely. You know, I watch him during the seasons. I, I understand the things that make him special. And I really like a lot about how he expresses himself, what kind of person he seems to be. He's good for English football in his personality. He's good for Spurs. But I also am very attracted to, you know, a player who has to craft himself and has to show the effort and show the mentality put into changing himself. And in, the reason that I'm so excited about him would be twofold. In, in this World Cup is what you asked. One, he, he's shouldered the responsibility for the team and, and the team's style of football. He's gone looking for the ball, not out of frustration, but when he's gone deep, it's to hold the ball and shield it and to make sure that players around him have time and space to make intelligent movements. But he'll also decide when the ball needs to be recycled, when it needs to be set up for an immediate pass through the middle or over the top. He is conspicuously, he is a working brain on the pitch. And and when I consistently use that devolved intelligence, he counts. You know, sometimes you think that devolved intelligence from the coaching team to the pitch should be about... If it's playing out from the back, then it should be the centre half. So if it's the midfield, it should be the, the ball players, the those who control possession and therefore control the shape of a game. Well, in, in this instance, Kane to me has proven himself to be a really good leader, a really good reader of the ideology of an individual game. And in the Panama match, I won't see those, you know, that performance downgraded. His appetite to put them to bed and and to keep punishing them. I absolutely adored. Rather than just that expression of what you beat what's in front of you, you, I think you you show yourself by how you treat matches like that. And I had very little doubts about his temperament in terms of being able to handle big matches, particularly when fit. There's only once I've watched him when I've thought, ah, that's been a flat day. And that was against um, Arsenal at, um, at the Emirates when Kane wasn't fit and shouldn't have started. And you take a lot away from Harry Kane if he's not fit. But, the, you know, I've spoken to uh, David Plate about discovering him and coaching him and, and encouraging him. And clearly the major part of that glory goes to Harry Kane himself and to Maurizio Pochettino. Let there be no doubts at all. But I remember Platey talking to me about Mick Harford, who he famously had at Luton. And Harford had been a Newcastle player. And Harford went there and didn't run for a ball that was probably going out and, and heard the crowd going, ah, oh, and the down, and the, and the you're not Malcolm McDonald, in, in Harford's own view. That's what they felt. And uh, he told Pleat that he never recovered from that at that club. And Pleat remembers seeing Harry Kane at, at a game at Manchester United where a ball didn't look to be his and he didn't run for it. And he told him that anecdote about work rates and about winning the fans over and about winning other players over and, and never having a lost cause. Now, a player called Freddie Canuti, you know, worked at Pleats Club and, and, and didn't have that mentality and was lambasted for it a little bit in England. Um, and in Spain was a much more successful player and chose to make important runs, runs at the right time, and otherwise conserve his energy. So there's no one right or wrong. 
But Kane has definitely changed in terms of how busy he is on the pitch. Uh, he is definitely one of those, a little bit like Shearer, who always wants to fight lost causes, who always wants to be winning the ball, who always wants to be hassling other players, defenders, into seeing whether they're as eager as him and whether they might make a mistake or not. But then to see him dropping back into midfield and playing with brains and authority has been an absolute joy. And it's changing, you know, again, Pleaty told me about a time when Kane was out for about four months with an injury. And he used the time to study his own game, to study how Spurs played, and to, to use his recuperation, not just as a chance to get better, but to change his muscularity, to change um, his slight ability to sprint to a ball, not to accelerate away from a player because that really isn't necessarily there in Harry Kane. But his his current body fat ratio, which again was to do with Pochettino and his regime, and his muscularity has, has and how he recuperates, how he eats, how he lives, has led to him showing that his football brain gets him to situations far more quickly than he used to when he was younger. And it isn't when people talk about you can see now for Spurs in England the benefit of the time he spent at Orient or Millwall or Norwich or Leicester. And, and a word of kudos here to you know somebody who I think you hold the same regard for, Johnny Northcroft. His writing about Kane at Leicester is second to none in terms of trying to unpick the you know this leader for England and understand him more. But here's the story. If Harry Kane spoke a little bit differently, was a little bit more media adored, um, was was maybe higher profile in marketing terms, then he'd be a far more outstanding candidate for golden ball at this tournament than he is right now. And and that best player award, not golden boot, which you know is hard to see him losing now, not impossible, but golden boot, golden ball is there for him. And I, for one, if he continues his level of performances, I, for one, would be applauding if he won both. Okay, that's our show. Until next time, thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. And after this music from Beer Jacket, Graham will tell you how you can join our supporters trust at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter in time for a brand new season of big interviews that we're going to be starting work on very soon. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a social, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter do it now, please. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 